Justin Shears and welcome to Only a Northern Song. In this series, I'll be exploring the words and the music of the Beatles, but not through the usual tracks that we all know so well. I'll be delving into my extensive collection of outtakes, home recordings and demos, alternate mixes and interviews, to shed some new light on lesser known aspects of the Beatles' recorded legacy. I'm gonna take all my loneliness, I'm gonna take all my pain wrap them up inside my memory you'll never hear from them again cause there's a new day dawning welcome to part two of a is for apple where we explore some of the major acts who recorded under the beatles apple label it's mary hopkin was paul's major discovery for apple records then george's equivalent addition to the stable would have to be a fellow northerner who like the beatles had done the whole Mersey Beat and Hamburg experience. When a Beatle brought in a project, it was generally with the intention of sticking with it. When George brought in Jackie Lomax, he intended to stay involved to produce the record to see it through. I, I was kind of wandering in London, you know, I didn't really know what to do. And, and John and Paul just told me to go to Apple Publishing. I went there and I got signed as a writer, not thinking that anyone would like hear it and pick up on it. I was just putting songs down on a, on a little two-track tape recorder, you know. But he'd come in and said, oh, I really like this stuff. I, when I get back from India, let's make an album. George, I, kn I know you're about to do a lot of promotion this year for a young man called Jackie Lomax, and we heard a lot about him during the end of last year. Could he become the star of 69 that everybody's searching for? Is this your plan? Uh... Because at the moment it's all the old boys that are up there in the top ten. Yeah, but but the new boys fastly become old boys. Jackie's a new boy in as much as he's only really had one single release. But he's really an old boy. You know, he's been doing it since we started doing it in Liverpool. He was in a Liverpool band, and he's been through a lot of things. And. Uh, I think it was in 1966 when we were doing our last tour of America that we met Jackie, he'd been living a while in New York and it just, it was a bit, I felt a bit sad, you know, we were in our limousines and our big hotel suite and we'd been through all that scene and Jackie had been working, singing since we were singing, since we first started and yet he really hadn't got anywhere. I always thought he was pretty good. And I met him through the publishing. You know, he wanted to sell some songs. So I sort of verbally committed myself to produce a record by him. But unfortunately, you know, none of us here can manage him because we're really a record company, not a managing agency or something. Jackie Lomax's first single on Apple Records was written in India by George Harrison in early 1968. And, like most of the songs that would end up on the White Album, was demoed at home in May of that year.
Jackie Lomax was terrific, and uh, George did a fantastic job, and you know he did what a producer is supposed to do: you know, put a good band together, get the best out of the artist, and and uh, they they are. Uh, Another record I think Apple can be proud of, despite the relative lack of commercial success. Featuring a backing band of three Beatles, George, Paul and Ringo, along with Eric Clapton on guitar and Nicky Hopkins on keys, Jackie Lomax's Sour Milk Sea. Surprisingly, given the lineup behind him, the song didn't enjoy any commercial success at the time of release, overshadowed by Hey Jude and Those Were The Days. George persevered with Lomax, however, producing and playing on his debut album, Is This What You Want?, recorded in Los Angeles with members of the legendary Wrecking Crew as backing band. The album also failed to fire, and Lomax left Apple Records in 1970. Listen to a lonely sound See the grey and sadness all if the Beatles could find new acts for Apple Records, then so too could their staff. One of the best-known groups to emerge from the Beatles' new venture was discovered by none other than Beatles' roadie, Mal Evans. Maybe tomorrow I, will I think Mal Evans found uh, Badfinger, right, who were called the Ivies at the time. Badfinger, I thought, came through Paul. Mal Evans, who was the Beatles' road manager, uh, brought in the Ivies on tape to an A&R meeting. He played a couple of songs. He was very keen on it, and the general feeling was absolutely, you know, Mal feels strongly about it. He's probably right. So we signed them. One minor hit in America with Maybe Tomorrow, which is a good song actually, I remember it now. And um, then I think the general feeling was that maybe the Ivies was kind of a wimpy name. And uh, Neil Aspinall, to the best of my recollection, suggested Badfinger as a new and groovier name. The name suggested by Alastair Taylor was a reference to the working title of With a Little Help from My Friends, which, because of John's injured digit at the time, was known as Badfinger Boogie. With a change in name came a change in fortunes, when an offer was made to record music for Ringo's new film with Peter Sellers, The Magic Christian. Paul offered them a song, perhaps inspired by the impending business woes involving shady management type Alan Klein, and single-handedly recorded a demo in the hour before a Beatles session for the Abbey Road LP. Demo take one. If you want it, here it is. Come and get it. Mm-hmm. Make your mind up fast. If you want it anytime, I can give it. But you better hurry, cause it may not. 
Okay, give us it on headphones and I'll track it. When the time came for Badfinger to record their own version of Come and Get It, they wondered whether they should change any of the sounds and arrangement heard on McCartney's demo. Paul, who was producing the track, insisted that they play it note for note like the demo, as this would make it much more successful. He wasn't wrong.
But now meet Tom Evans of Badfinger, the group in the top ten with the soundtrack song, Come and Get It. Tom, tell us how your group came to be chosen to do the music for the film The Magic Christian. Uh, yes, we um, had a record out a year before, Come and Get It, called Maybe Tomorrow. But that was Which before ever... you were known as Badfinger, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, we were called the Ivies then, yeah. Mm. And uh, it, everybody said it would be a hit, you know, and it, it was a commercial sounding thing, but it didn't go, you know. It sold in the States, but not very, you know. Yeah. Enough to make it a major hit there, but during this time, Paul knew about our sort of, you know, he, he knew that he could aid, aid us by this film because he was asked to write the music for the yeah. film, and he got to writing the title song, mm -hmm. and uh, I thought maybe if we could do the title song, knowing that we were writers, there's a chance he could get us in the film as songwriters. You know? Yeah. Did it work? So yeah, it, uh, they liked the our version of Come and Get It, you know. Mm -hmm. So they give us this discotheque sequence one which we wrote a rock and roll song for. Mm -hmm. And that one came off as well. So really, it became a major thing for you, yeah, this one, didn't it? Yeah, got right into it, yeah. And all the materials on your latest album? Yeah, yeah. But the one you pulled off as a single is starting to happen, isn't it? Yeah, it's doing very well in England, yeah. I wish you lots of luck with that. You gonna do it for us now? Yes. Here we Come go. <laughs> track was top 10 on both sides of the Atlantic, as well as in a handful of other countries. Badfinger would go on to record several albums for Apple, including No Dice, Straight Up and Ass, as well as enduring songs such as No Matter What, Day After Day and Without You, later a worldwide smash for Harry Nilsson. 
The band also played on George's All Things Must Pass LP and backed him at Madison Square Gardens for the concert for Bangladesh in 1971. Of all the artists brought to Apple Records, perhaps only one maintained a truly warm association and friendship with the other members of the band, well beyond the life of the record label itself. And again, it was a musician who can trace his Beatles connections back to their days in Hamburg. Billy, when did you first meet the Beatles? I first met the Beatles in 1962 on a tour with Little Richard and Sam Cooke in Hamburg, Germany. And what were they then, a big name? Or? Well, they were the sporting acts on the show. Supporting acts? Yeah. How old were you in 62? 15. 15, <laughs> and you were touring Europe and England with Little Richard. Yes. Fast forward to January 1969, and George suggests a keyboard player who might be able to help lift the songs they were trudging through 
as they filmed the Get Back sessions. And then you met the Beatles again much later in your career. Right, I met them, reunited with them last year in January. And I just went down to say hello, you know, and they were recording at the time. The best jazz band I saw was Ray Charles' band. Yeah, I mean, that's jazz. It moves me fantastic. Anyway, it's fantastic. Billy Preston was to win. I'm sure you'll do you when you see. Billy plays piano with the band, but then he does his own spot where he sings and dances and plays organ solo, and then Ray Charles comes on. He's become so Charles, really, because he's like too much, because he plays organ. So great now. Ray Charles doesn't bother with the organ now. He just, I'll leave it to the young guy. Billy, too much. And uh, I was sitting there, and Paul says, uh, get on the electric piano. You know, so I went over. Started playing, and John says, take a solo. Yeah. Every number's got a piano part or a... And normally we overdub it, you know. But this time we want to do it live. Yeah. I mean, just live to ourselves. Yeah. Straight off, one number after the other. Yeah. And that means having somebody in on, on scene. Yeah. So if you'd like to do that, you're welcome. Sure. Beautiful. <laughs> The injection of Billy Preston brought a renewed energy to the sessions, so much so that he played the songs live on the rooftop with the Beatles and was invited to play on the Abbey Road LP as well. As a friend of the band and a musical genius, it made complete sense to add him to the Apple Canon as soon as possible. The next thing I know, they put the record out and put my name on it and bought my contract out from Capitol Records and with Apple. And this, <laughs> this record was, of course, Get Back. Yes. Now, were you in on the whole recording session of Get Back? The, yes, the, the whole other LP. As well? Yes, and some of Abbey Road as well. And this is the LP that they've made the film of, isn't it? Yes. If the Beatles do another live appearance, if they perhaps go to Toronto, uh, do you think that you'll be up on stage with them, or do you yes. think they'll appear as a foursome? No, I think everybody will be on stage. <laughs> you know, Eric will be there, you know, and everybody will be on with now, them. Do you think this is the way recording is going to go in 1970, just pick up groups of good musicians? Yeah, I think it's going to come to the place where everybody, you know, whoever you want to play with, you just get together and play, you know, not a set group or anything. You know. The end of the group idea, do you think? Yeah, I think so. Do you think this is better for music and it'll become freer? Yes, I think we'll get more things happening, you know, and uh, musicians will get better, you know, and more music, you know. His first official release on Apple Records was a With Billy Preston mentioned on the label of the Get Back single. But his first release in his own right would become a signature tune.
Let morning sobbing cease Learn to help one another And live in perfect peace If we just be humble Like the good Lord saying He promised to exalt us But love is the way That's the way God planned it That's the way God wants it the way God planned it. Produced by George Harrison, the recording also features contributions from Eric Clapton, Keith Richards, Ginger Baker and fellow Apple stablemate Doris Troy, another of George's discoveries. The song would become a top 20 hit in several countries, but didn't do much in Preston's native United States. It would, of course, become a standout performance in George's concert for Bangladesh, just over a year later. And what's your latest recording efforts with Apple? Have you done the LP work? Or? Yes, I've just finished recording um, two LPs, in fact. I don't know what we're going to do with them, whether it'll be a double album or not, but um, I've got some good material on this one. And you have, it may be a double album, you say? Maybe. The singers and bands we've just explored are probably the best known of the Apple artists. Interestingly, very few of these acts were brought to the label by John, he was much more interested in exploring his own avant-garde work and recordings with Yoko Ono on the alternative Beatle label called Zapple, which had very limited exposure compared to its big brother. Indeed, Paul and George were by far the most active in bringing new artists under their wings, regardless of the commercial success each enjoyed as a result. One band who can be attributed to John's patronage fronted up with the reggae cover version of his own Give Peace a Chance. The band? Hot Chocolate. We are Cesar. All we are saying is give peace a chance. 
everybody talking about this war and that war, who's for and not for, the last war, the next war, and nuclear is not for. And what for? Damn love for. Childish man. Rubbish. talking about religious separation, racial segregation, repatriation, bringing the United Nations to make conversation. Rubbish, rubbish. who can thank Apple Records for contributing to their careers, however long-lived they might have been, include Doris Troy, Needing each other and bleeding each other. 
Trash. The Radha Krishna Temple. Ronnie Spector. and Ravi Shankar. Of course, the Beatles themselves continued to release under the Apple moniker, whether it be the solo efforts of John Lennon Paul McCartney Every day she takes a morning bath she wets her hair Wraps a towel around her as she's heading for the bedroom chair It's just another George Harrison star or Yoko Ono People say I'm cool, yeah, I'm a cool chick, baby. Every day I thank God that I'm such a 
Plastic Ono Band. And Wings. An enduring legacy which started as an egalitarian idea. Suddenly he was a record company avowedly owned and, and run by these working class boys from Liverpool uh, who were determined that it wouldn't be as hidebound and as respect oriented and as boring as record companies were. So the the difference at the time was was total. I mean it wasn't it wasn't a partial, it was a massive change of, of concept and of pace and of style from how record companies were to what the Beatles wanted to make theirs into. When we set up the uh, record company, we, you know, we've been screwed a lot, you know. Have you? In business, we've been screwed. We've been given poor deals and things from different companies, you know, were... You mean for yourself or for with your artists? For ourselves, for the Beatles, for the Beatles, you know, over the last seven years now. And I wanted to make sure that no artist was signed to Apple Records on a bum deal, you know. Because obviously if the artist's happy, they're going to do the best. And if they're doing the best, it's going to be better for everybody. But if somebody's really not happy with the deal they've got, they're not... You know, it's, it's just uh, creates negativity. So, um... You, you seem to all come in and have a look and see what's going on and give instructions and keep a very close eye on what's going on, yeah. all four of you. Wouldn't it be a good idea if one of you decided to become the sort of figurehead of the company? Don't you think uh, that would yeah, work? N that probably, that could work in one respect, but again, it wouldn't work in another. It's like, you know, we could have, um, say, just recorded my songs, make an album of my songs, or make an album of John's songs, or an album of Paul's songs. Now, maybe they're all going to be as valid as each other, but I think the most important thing about the Beatles was the, the separate personalities that made one, one whole, you know, because I wouldn't, if Paul was to run Apple, it'd start going in the direction I didn't really want it to go. And if John was running Apple, it'd be the same. And me, yeah. if I was left to run it, it'd probably, you'd end up with, you know, full of Indians <laughs> and sitars and Jay Gurudev. And I think the reason it ended up with such a very broad-based and eclectic collection of artists was because they came in from all different sources. There was Paul McCartney saying to Sam Mary Hopkin, or Ringo talking about John Taverner, John talking about his stuff with Yoko and other projects he had. George to bring Indian music and Jackie Lomax and Doris Troy to everyone's attention. It really was a case actually of them, them having this extraordinary power and influence and using it pretty wisely. If somebody listened to the modern jazz quartet or to Indian music who wouldn't have otherwise, that's a good thing. Yeah. 
Yes. Are you having fun with that? Yes. It's working out good. It's working fine, yeah. Quite a lot of work involved, but it's good, you know. The thing that comes out of it is good. It's worthwhile. So, a couple of groups, you know, a few singles, there's plenty of things coming out. I understand the uh, uppermost thing in, the, in uh, like, the company I was reading is, like, the sound is uh, primary. You're really producing, you know, good sound first, you know, in production and everything. Yeah. That's something that... Uh, it should be. I mean, uh, really, we shouldn't put out records... Uh, cream and sugar. We shouldn't put out records that have, uh, you know, that we don't like. Really? That's really what it all it amounts to, you know. There's plenty of good music. And uh, we just try and keep a high standard so that, uh, you know, that everything's nice. It doesn't have to be a hit, I don't suppose, but as long as it's good. Anyone who wanted to show up and produce as much as he wanted to produce was welcome too. But people didn't do the same amount of work. You know, I, I think I lived in London, I was there more. So um, I probably did a little bit more production, for instance, than Ringo did. Um, I'm not sure what Ringo did, actually. I wasn't as involved as the others. Um, as I say, you know, it was fun. We'd go in and, you know, a lot of what it did related to the four of us. Let's say John wanted to do stuff like Zapple. He wanted a sort of funky label that he could do crazy stuff on. So that became his area, which was quite nice. It might have been exciting for everybody else and for people that came in from the outside. For me, it was... Um, a lot of hard work setting it up and uh, a lot of chaos. I was still in India when it started. I think it was basically um, John and Paul's uh, madness, uh, ego, running away with themselves or with each other. It's just trying to mix business with enjoyment. Because we're in business, you know, we find ourselves in business. Are you, the directors? To make it, Are you the directors yeah, of this? Yeah, but yeah. like all the profits won't go into our pockets. It'll go to help people, but not like a charity. You know, I mean, it had a lot of ideas of we could do this and we could do that, but when it came down to it, really, the only thing we could do was write songs and make records and be Beatles successfully. When the history of music of this of the last century is written, Apple will feature in there quite prominently. Well, that's it for this episode. Join us next time as the Beatles begin to go their own separate ways. Until next time, 